You know, Easter comes around every year, and it's hard sometimes to put ourselves in the context of what would have taken place that weekend, what would have been the feeling that weekend. But the surprise that resurrection gave to those who found this empty tomb, to the two women who ran to the disciples and others that would have discovered this news. I mean, imagine hope in Jesus had failed Friday morning. And I love what she said, we hoped too small. We hoped too small. I mean, I wish we could get into the emotion of the resurrection. Have you ever gone through failure or a loss or a bad investment or a bad grade and you felt like maybe that was it? When I was in grade 10, I was doing, when I was in grade 11, uh, I was in grade 10 French. I'm already starting off bad right there, right? I was in grade 11 doing grade 10 French. I must have gone to summer school three times for French in five years of high school. So you could imagine how awesome I was and how proficient I was in French. So here I was, grade 11, grade 10 French, and uh, I get a horrible last semester grade, 47. And I go to my teacher and I said, Miss, I mean, what am I going to do? And she said, you know, David, that's what happens in life when you mess up. That's what she told me. She used worse words than that. Um, and, I, and I'm like, this is my last chance. I got to get out of high school. I want to go to college. And so I did summer school for grade 11 French and passed with somewhere in the 60s. And I did finally make it to college. But it felt, I mean, when I got that mark and when she told me those words, I thought like, that's it. If this is, if this is my last chance, then that's over. This is, if this is my last grade, if this is it, then I, I don't have much hope. And, and I can imagine in such a much more significant way, the disciples are thinking, Jesus is dead. This is it. This is it. But something happened on that Sunday morning that changed that. I love this one phrase about the resurrection. An author named Frederick Buchner says these words, resurrection means that the worst thing is never your last thing. That the worst thing is never your last thing. Everything changed at the resurrection. Death was not the end. Hope was not lost. Everything Jesus said now was coming true and belief was rising. And here's, here's this amazing thing and also this awkward thing about Easter is that for, for at least the world around us sometimes is that Christian belief and Christian hope hinges on the resurrection. Like if the resurrection didn't happen, faith and hope would be weaker. That's a tall order for a faith. That's a tall order for people who believe. There's no other faith world, no other faith in the world that hinges on resurrection taking place. Islam believes in Jesus, that he was a prophet and they revere him, but they don't believe that he ever even died. And so they don't believe in a resurrection. Skeptics don't see it as plausible or possible. Yet Christianity, belief and hope hinges on this event that took place in history. In fact, early Christians, it all rested on this event. Listen how strongly this is found in, uh, in one of the letters to a first century church from the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a church in a town called Corinth, and he, he's passing on something that he learned right away, early, within years, um, that he, he heard from those who were with Jesus and then maybe a few years after his death and resurrection, we're passing this phrase on. First Corinthians 15, verse 3 says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day 
according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. Here's Paul reciting probably one of the earliest creeds from the church. Paul learned this from the earliest Christian leaders, the core idea, the core message of Christianity, that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose on the third day, and he appeared to many, many people. And he qualifies that with these eyewitnesses, people who literally saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. Not just the women at the tomb, not even just the disciples, but others around him. And they didn't see a ghost, they didn't see a spirit, they didn't see a vision, they weren't asleep. They saw a physical, breathing, hole in his hands, Jesus in front of them. It was a literal resurrection. And that sparked this movement that just spread through the Roman Empire and completely transformed the Roman Empire within two or three hundred years. And they didn't do it with swords. They weren't financed. They had no Facebook or Twitter. They, uh, no marketing campaign. It was all because of their faith and belief rooted in the resurrected Jesus and the power of his spirit and the love that exuded from their hearts into people's lives. Resurrection means that the worst thing is not the last thing. Remember, I was taking a class in Concordia University in a master's of theology, and here we are in this small room, maybe 10 or 12 people, and it's a diverse group of people. And so there happened to be some skeptics, some believers in the room. There was an assistant Jewish rabbi in the room. And so he was kind of off talking about something about how messiahs have come and gone, and, uh, and he was, you know, kind of speaking a little bit critically about Christianity, and some other guy had some other thoughts. And so I just asked this assistant rabbi a question. I said, let me just ask you, of all these rabbis, of all these messiahs that you're speaking about, I mean, how long did they get followed? And he told me, you know, a few years. And how many followers? And maybe tens to twenties to hundreds, maybe a few thousand. And what happened to them? And, and so I just said, but I just asked them, what's so different then about this one messiah who his followers didn't stop following him and his followers grew and it wasn't tens and twenties or hundreds. It was thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people. What, what's the difference and I remember we were just in this room and he just, he didn't say anything. What do you do with the one who's promised to be the Messiah? And many others have popped up over history, but this one rises from the dead and his followers don't stop following. In fact, they multiply exponentially and change the landscape of the Roman Empire. So what did the resurrection accomplish? What did it do? There's two ideas I want to get across today. On Friday night, if you were here, we talked about how Jesus endured the cross because he was walking towards something joyful. And the scriptures say, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And that joy set before him was salvation, was salvation for all humanity who would come and put their trust in him. But it begs the question, why does resurrection matter? And what are we saved from? And what are we saved for? What are we saved from? And what are we saved for? And here's, here's later on in this same letter, in the same chapter of this letter, Paul writes these words in verse 17. He says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. So just stop there for a second. That's kind of what we've been saying. I mean, they hinged their faith, their hope on the resurrection. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And then he says this, You 
if he's not been raised, you are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, you're still in your broken state. The same broken state that humanity is in. Sin is like a serious theme throughout the scriptures that we can read from Genesis to Revelation and we can see it in the Old Testament and the New Testament and we see it come up early on in Genesis as the world we feel is breaking apart. Their relationship with God, with one another, with the environment is broken and they long to see that restored and we see sin pop up in the story of Israel as as God tries to build a people but their sin, their brokenness, pull them away from God's plan. We see it in our world today. When Jesus comes to earth and is born, one of the promises is he will be named Jesus and he will save his people from their sins, from the broken state of the world. It's innate in every human being. I think we can recognize some kind of brokenness even in our hearts. Scripture tells us everyone has sinned and fall short of God's will for their lives. And all of us wrestle with this. All of us wrestle with sin, big ways, small ways, hidden ways, public ways. Sometimes it's just you want to cheat on your taxes and get a little bit more uh, out of that. Maybe it's, you know, you're in a mess and you know if you tell your friend the truth, it's not fully the truth, but you don't want to maybe mess something up or maybe a perception of you, so you lie. Maybe it's robbing your kids of, of affection that they need from you, and instead you maybe make selfish decisions and, you, you know, you're trying to figure that out, but in some ways you feel like something's broken. Maybe it's more. Maybe it's more, more than that. Maybe it's cheating on a relationship or hurting other relationships there's this professor at Yale University, Nicholas Walterstorff, and he says these words, and makes sense. He talks about how we've overcome so much as humanity, but there's still a few things we can't figure out how to cope with. He says this, when we have overcome loneliness with phone calls, and today you might insert Facebook or Twitter, when we have overcome loneliness with phone calls, winglessness, the ability to fly with airplanes, summer heat with air conditioning, When we have overcome all these and much more, there will be two things with which we must cope, the evil in our hearts and death. There's two things that humanity still struggles to cope with, the evil in our hearts and death. uh, Jesus comes to save us from something, the two things we're still figuring out how to cope with. When you think about sin, sin gets multiplied, right? Like when, you, when it's not just one sinful person, it's two or three or four or uh, a government of sinful people or a company of sinful people. I love this ad for The Economist, the magazine. It, it said this, the world is crazy, but at least it's getting regular analysis. So go out and buy The Economist. But there's truth on both sides. I mean, we love to just talk about what's going on in the world and analyze what's going on in the world. But the admission is like, wait a second, the world partly, I mean, the world is good in many ways, but the world is crazy in many ways too. Sin in one person is one thing. Sin multiplied in people is another thing. It's corporate corruption. It's war. It's war crimes, it's selfish national interests, it's destroying the environment, it's prostitution rings, it's 147 or 57 students being killed in a university in Nairobi. Sin multiplied is worse. We see that we struggle to cope with evil in our hearts, and it escalates globally. We must figure out how to cope with that, the evil in our hearts, the evil in our world. And thank God, the resurrection is that your worst thing is not your last thing. Your worst thing 
is not your last thing. Even regards to death, resurrection not only conquers sin, resurrection promises to conquer death. And Jesus showed us that he did that. Maybe these days, you know, I know we can watch uh, popular atheist authors claim on their deathbed that they, you know, specifically are walking into death with confidence. And we see those rare stories. And then just recently in McLean's magazine, a Canadian magazine, I, I found out there's this new career. I don't know if you've heard about it. Maybe you might be interested in it. Ten people in Canada have this career. You've heard of midwives bringing people into, into earth? Well, there's this new career called death midwives. And so I think you need a PhD in shamanism and some other you know, uh, spiritual beliefs. But here's this, this, new, there's this new career. Ten people in Canada already have it. A death midwife. So it's people who are, are not religious, maybe even secular, but want to figure out how to deal with death. So they hire a death midwife, $100 an hour, to come to 100 bucks an hour. So a good career if you want to. 5000 bucks for a series of sessions. Okay, you can make a lot of money doing this. Um, but 100 bucks an hour, come to your house and walk through death rituals. Sometimes it's reciting a poem. Sometimes it's banging a drum. Uh, sometimes it's performing what's called a forgiveness ritual because people are trying to figure out, what do I do with the things I've done? And they can't figure out how to cope with it. And so here's this new career popping up to help people that are secular, not religious, still trying to cope with sin and death, evil in our hearts and death. We fear death. It's uncertain. We don't know how to cope with that. Here's what Paul says later in the same chapter, talking about the resurrection. I love what he says about how the cross and the resurrection deals with death. He says this, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death has been swallowed up in the resurrection. We have been saved from something, or we can be saved from sin and death. But we, can also, we are also saved for something. The resurrection does something that changes things for us. One of these verses in the scripture says this, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is is eternal life. Resurrection tells us there is a life, there is life beyond this life. That death doesn't have to have a hold on us. That death does not have to be the worst and last thing. The worst thing is not your last thing because of the resurrection. That Jesus conquered death. That he saved us, not just from something, but he saved us for something. And he saved us for life beyond this life, which is eternity. This promise is good enough. I mean, it's a pretty good promise that the new creation that Jesus started to inaugurate at the resurrection, that we get a glimpse of even in his resurrected body, that we will one day be able to participate in this amazing restoration project that God has in store. And as good as that is, I would say that the resurrection doesn't just save us for then. The resurrection is intended to save us for now, for today, for this life for our generation, for the decisions you're making and the life you're leading. We're saved for more. We're saved for today. I love how we read in the scriptures when Jesus appears to the disciples and other people, we really get this, this truth. 
It's a physical resurrection. It's not a spiritual resurrection. It's not just that, God, that Jesus' spirit ascended into heaven. His body is resurrected. It's the same body. It's a resurrected body. It's fused with a different power, but it's the same body. It's a literal resurrection, a breathing flesh and blood, bones body. That's so important that it's literal. If I promised you today and I said, if you fill out a contact card, I will make you figuratively rich or literally rich. Which one would you choose? Literal, right? Who wants to be figuratively rich? You'd rather be literally rich, right? Who would want to be figuratively resurrected? The scriptures claim that Jesus literally, physically rose from the dead, and he, in bodily form, appeared to those around him. And here's this promise, that one day, when God's restoration project comes into full swing and Jesus appears, the promise in scriptures is we shall be like him, that we will also have resurrected bodies, not just spiritual, not disembodied from ourselves. And that's, you know why that's important? That's important because what's promised in the future needs to impact us today. That, that the fact that Jesus literally rose from the dead and physically blood, flesh, and, and skin appeared to his disciples means that resurrection is not just for later. Resurrection is for now. It matters today. It's important for us today. We're saved not just for then. We're saved for now. I love this one example we read in scriptures. It's, this, it's one of the last appearances that Jesus makes to his disciples in the book of John, at least. And it happens on a beach. It helps us think about summer. Uh, It's John chapter 21. I'm not going to read it, but in the last chapter of the Gospel of John, the disciples are out in the water. They're fishing, and uh, they see Jesus coming from the distance on the beach, and they're all amazed. They've already seen him, uh, you know, once or twice. It says it's the third time that they encounter the resurrected Jesus, and Jesus calls out to them from the shore. And um, he sees that they're having a hard time fishing. This is, if you've read the Gospels, this is a little bit of a deja vu because this happened when Jesus first met the disciples. They were still not great fishermen, and they still weren't great fishermen after the resurrection. So the resurrection didn't change their ability to fish. But for a second time, as Jesus looks out to them and they're having a struggle, he gives them some tips. He's like, why don't you throw it on this side of the water? Divine, you know, providence. And so... They do, and they make a pretty good catch, 153 fish, not bad for that day. They land on shore, and what's Jesus doing? He's cooking breakfast. There's coals out, he's prepared a fire, and he's cooking some breakfast, and he asks them, he asks them to join him. C.S. Lewis says, the resurrection is as literal as broiled eggs. And he's referring to this passage, because Jesus was cooking eggs on the beach for his disciples. That's how literal the resurrection was. I mean, wouldn't there be a more glamorous resurrection moment? Wouldn't it be like Jesus came glowing with his feet suspended from air? Wouldn't it have been awesome if he, if he kind of like did a laser bolt finger to the boat and then the fish came? Or wouldn't it be great if he kind of just lit his fire with the finger? Or he would have done like something that looked more resurrected. But it was his, just his body. He was on the beach with his disciples. He calls them friends. He invites them to breakfast. And I love that because it tells us that the resurrection doesn't just save us for later. It saves us for now, for today. That even today, the worst thing is not your last thing. And I love Peter's response. Peter's response, when he figures out this is Jesus at the shore, 
he just he picks up, he pulls up his robes and he runs to shore to see Jesus. He runs to shore to see Jesus. But if you just think of Peter's story for a moment, it's so important because Peter failed Jesus three times before the cross. Peter denied Jesus three times before the cross. Peter was the one who said, you're the Messiah, and Jesus said, you're right. Peter's the one who, in the conversation, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church upon this rock. You're going to be part of that church. And Peter denied him three times before the resurrection. Peter was the guy in the garden who grabbed the swords of the soldiers and cut a soldier's ear off. Talk about the worst thing is maybe not the best thing to be your last thing, if that's the last thing you do before Jesus gets arrested. Cut off somebody's ear. So imagine, imagine Peter, why he's so ecstatic to see Jesus, the resurrected Christ, because I think he realizes, I'm so grateful that that worst thing wasn't my last thing. And the resurrection changes that for me. Jesus invites Peter to serve him again. He gives Peter purpose. He, he tells Peter, he's, he, he, just later in this passage as he's you know, at the beach, he tells Peter three times in a conversation, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to go out into the world. I want you to let others know this story. I want you to tell others about the resurrection. I want you to tell others about my life and my teachings and invite them to know that they can be part of this. So Jesus gives Peter purpose. His worst thing wasn't his last thing. There was a thief on the cross beside Jesus. If you're on the cross, you're a criminal. And Jesus was rejected and looked upon like a criminal, but there's a thief on his side. And he wants restoration. And Jesus whispers over to him as, as much as he can muster up breath in that moment and says, you too will be with me today in paradise. Because the resurrection was coming. And even this guy's worst thing wasn't his last thing. Because of the resurrection. Jesus met a religious leader named Nicodemus, who was a good guy, a moral guy, a stand-up guy, probably was revered from his community, but he realizes his religion has not given him the relationship with his Lord that he longs for. That is, religion even is not helping him cope with the evil in his heart or death. And he too longed for life that mattered today. And even though he was a good guy and a moral guy, the resurrection for him meant his worst thing or his whatever thing wasn't the last thing because of the resurrection. So let me just close today and ask you the question, what about you? What about you? Are you grateful that, are you grateful that the worst thing is not your last thing? I'm grateful for that. I'm so grateful for that. The resurrection changes everything. God extends this invitation to you and to me. And, and here's the deal today. I'm going to ask the team to come up as we, we want to take some time this morning and, and uh, continue reflecting and celebrating before we close. Regardless of your spiritual journey, regardless of where you are today, regardless if you're on the fence about God, regardless if you're feeling distant from God, regardless if you've come today and a friend just brought you and like, I'm just here today, but I totally reject God. Regardless of where you are in that, maybe, maybe you too feel like the reality of what this philosopher described. You feel lost in the sense that you can't cope with the evil in your heart and you can't cope with death. Maybe you've never felt the forgiveness that you long for. 
And no ritual will change that. But you, you know that you long for that. And resurrection says to you, and resurrection says to me, the worst thing is not your last thing. The worst thing is not your last thing. That you can have life in Jesus Christ because of the resurrection. And I know there are several people here maybe who just affirm that truth and say, I'm so grateful. I've experienced exactly what you're talking about. But there's some people here today that haven't. And I just, I want to kind of appeal to you just for a moment. I mean, why not at least consider that today? Why not consider a step, even if it's a small step, towards discovering the resurrected Jesus? A small step closer to trusting that Jesus is everything he said he is, that he did everything he said he did, and that he rose from the dead to save you and me from our sin, from death, and to save us for not just life eternally, but life today. He wants to infuse life into your life today. He wants to infuse resurrected life into your relationships, into your decisions, into your finances, into your family, into your mind and heart, into, the, into what you think and, 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 and believe, and into how you wake up every morning and know that, oh my goodness, I, my life is in and rooted in a resurrected Savior and Lord. I would just encourage you, would you consider that today? Would you make a step closer to that today? Maybe you've been coming to Westside for a few weeks or months and you're exploring that. I would encourage you today, would you consider putting your trust in Christ? Here's a couple of steps as the team starts to play this next song. And just think about these steps for a second. Maybe your first step is, I'm just going to ask some questions this week. And maybe you need to ask them to some friends. Maybe you need to do some research. And maybe you need to open up one of the Gospels. Maybe one of your steps is leaving us a question on that contact card and say, I have this big question. This is a big obstacle for me. And I heard what you said, but... And you can just write that. That might be your next step today. Maybe your next step is just coming back. Join us next week. We'd love to have you. We'll have chairs for you and coffee. And maybe that's your next step maybe your next step is right now is saying you know what I've been thinking about this and God has got my attention today and I want to put my trust in Jesus and in a simple way I just want to encourage you to to help you know how to do that I think in a simple way we would just acknowledge in a prayer saying you know what Jesus I recognize I, I still cope with trying to figure out how to deal with the evil in my heart and death and I haven't come up with a solution But I want to put my trust in you, the resurrected Lord. And recognize that, you know, my life is broken in places. I'm sure there's good in your life, but it's probably broken in some places. And saying, you know what? Part of that is sin. And I need you, Jesus. And just to pray to him and say, you know what? Jesus, I invite you to save me. Save me from the sin in my heart. Save me from the death I can't conquer. But it's also saying, Jesus, lead me. Lead me in my decisions. Lead me in my life. You have the best version of my life set out for me. And when we do that, our prayer is saying, Jesus, I long for you as Savior. I long for you as Lord. And once we do that, Jesus promises to flood our hearts with the power of resurrection and the power of His Spirit. I'm going to ask you to stand as we, we pray and then the team will, will lead us through a song and 
Maybe you're going to pray and your prayer is just a grateful prayer. Because some of the things we talked about, you just affirm and you say, I have felt that. I felt God show me that that worst thing wasn't my last thing and I saw his grace and I felt his resurrection power. But if you're here today and you, you need to express your heart, I just want to pray with you. And then after we pray, you'll have some time to reflect on that and we'll all have some time to celebrate together. Let's pray. Dear God, God, thank you for this reminder. I too can get caught up with such a progressive world that has figured out so many solutions for so many problems. So many conveniences for so many inconveniences. And yet, God, if I were to admit, I still struggle to cope with the evil that I wrestle with in my heart. With death that looms. Thank you for your resurrection because it gives me hope. And I stand on it. And I thank you that you have overcome both sin and death. Maybe if you need to pray a simple prayer as I shared, maybe you want to pray a simple prayer like this. Lord, I recognize that I need Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, to save me from the evil in my heart and the death that looms before me and to save me for a life that you have designed for me. I welcome you as Savior and leader of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.